I'm just seeing you on my screen, and that's, I don't need that. We don't need that happening. <laughs> and now, from the Emerald City of Seattle, it's the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast. Your home for pop culture, transformers, independent artists, interviews, transformers, and stuff and things. Also, sometimes transformers. And now, here he is, a part of a balanced breakfast, Mike Seibert. Hey, welcome back to Mike Seibert Radio, uh, powered by Poddex. I am your host, and welcome to this inaugural uh, live stream uh, episode. We are here live on Facebook Live. Uh, Mike Seibert here with my very special guest, uh, illustrator and all-around awesome dude, Blackie Shepherd. How are you doing, my friend? Doing real good. How are you, man? I'm. You know what? Um, living the dream. I'm. Uh, I, I feel like I'm right there with you, uh, hanging out. Right. <laughs> I feel like you're right here with me, but trapped in a little tiny box. Like a very <laughs> small version of you is yeah. trapped in a little floating box. <laughs> I love it. So. Uh, for uh, folks listening to the podcast, uh, this is uh, you know this is audio from a live stream. And Blackie, I don't know if you noticed knew this or not, but this is a uh, one. It's not your first time on the show, so welcome back and thank you for uh, coming back. But I think you're my only guest that I have interviewed three different ways. The first time that, that you were on my show, we were doing the KGRG college radio thing. You came yeah, up, out at the came, college station. Yep. Came up to the studio and we hung around for a few hours, played some songs, told some stories. It was great fun. The next time uh, I had you on the show and did an interview, it was uh, live from the convention floor at Jet City Comic Show uh, a couple few years ago. Yep. And that was one where, you know, I was just getting into kind of like on-site interviews. And I think I just recorded you on my phone. I think I just ended up shoving my <laughs> yeah, phone in yeah. your face. And, and we just uh, talked about Voltron and Pumpkinhead for, uh, for a real long time. And now we're doing something even more different. We're doing like this live stream. So uh, through our conversations, you have helped me be a pioneer in different types of in interviews and audios and all that other fun stuff. So. Well, you know, I'm, I, I do what I can. Yeah. <laughs> well, what what brings us here today is one, I I've been itchy to chat with you for quite some time, even back before uh this last year's Jet City comic show, where I ended up being on a table on the opposite side of the floor. I think I visited you maybe once or twice and never really got anything on wax because you were busy, I was busy, and we just missed each other. But I I remember from our previous conversation conversations that you had always had an aspiration to do uh, comics for IDW and their, mm -hmm. and their various uh, nostalgia properties. And I think at that point you had already had a cover for Transformers come out. Uh, one of My first cover was, uh, was the Baroness cover for G.I. Joe. That's right. That's right. My mistake. Um, so, but you, you had shared with me, it's like, I got a gig on Transformers and I was like, oh, I need to chat with you about that. And then, right. you know, uh, schedules, time, opportunity, things like that. So I thought 
uh, we would chat about that. Um, I also want to talk about um, all the cool stuff that you've done uh, for Dynamite. You've uh, you've amassed quite the Dynamite catalog. You know, between, have, yeah. between between working on uh, Voltron and uh, Vampirella, and now uh, Vampirella and Reanimator, mm-hmm. and we've got a, another project uh, coming up in the works that uh, that will potentially tease and get some of the hot goss on for there. Um, so and. And from there, I guess we'll just kind of talk about kind of where the industry is because we're we're in a really weird spot. And I thought that um, you would have a thought or two on kind of kind of really what it's like being a working artist when basically the comics companies are kind of closed. And um, right. so it, it's it's something that I'm kind of curious to learn about. Um, but as we know, every podcast, or in this case, live stream, uh, every, every show is somebody's first show. So I kind of front-loaded a lot of like backstory that almost nobody knows, which is totally fine. But in that Stan Lee tradition of every comic is somebody's first comic, who is Blackie Shepard? And what's your deal? Why not um, let the folks know just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, so I'm a Pacific Northwest-based uh, comic book artist. I first started working in the industry, uh, I want to say about five years ago. Uh, my first gig was for Dynamite doing, uh, I did, I think, seven pages in a Vampirella anthology called Fury Tales, a uh, story written by Stuart Moore. Um, and then from there, they, uh, they offered me Voltron, which was my first collaboration with Colin Bunn. Um, and we, I was very lucky in that Colin was, A, Colin's just the sweetest guy ever. Yeah. Uh, and he's super collaborative and he's very open to, you know, ideas. Like as soon as, you know, I'm a measure twice, cut once kind of dude, right? So I, you know, when I got the gig for Voltron, I knew who Colin was because I had read Sixth Gun up to that point, you know. Um, And so I was pretty hype, you know. But to be honest, I didn't realize that Colin had such a deep background in horror comics, right? Which which is where my primary artistic love lies, is horror comics, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So I did my kind of research not only into Cullen's background, but also into Voltron, right? Because I watched Voltron as a kid. I really enjoyed it. Um, But I hadn't thought about Voltron for years because up to that point, Voltron was kind of a dry property. There wasn't a whole lot going on with it. It was right before the big reboot, you know? Right, right. In fact, ours was the last classic Voltron story before the big reboot. Um, And so, you know, I watched the whole Voltron as much of the American version as I could, uh, which actually wound up being me just kind of fast forwarding through it and watching certain scenes and that kind of thing, because it's not great, you know? <laughs> uh, but then I also watched the entirety of Go Lion, which is the Japanese version, which is completely different. The, oh. It's got a completely different mythology. Voltron mm-hmm. is a different type of character. Um, it's way tw- more twisted. It's, you know, the whole deal. So I. From that, you know, I I developed a couple of ideas that I thought would be important to include in the series that we did. And and Cullen was very open to that, which was rad, right? 
Um, and, uh, and we can talk more about the specifics of that if you'd like. But, uh, but what that led me to was Colin and I got along really well. Yeah. We're, I think we're in the same rough age bracket mm-hmm. and we both liked all the same stuff as kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, Shogun Warriors, Micronauts, you know, G.I. Joe, all that, you know, that range of stuff, you know, for, for guys of a certain age. Uh, and so we, and I really wanted to work on something horror oriented with him, you know. So shortly after Voltron, um, he got offered Pumpkinhead and then messaged me and said, hey, do you want to draw Pumpkinhead? Uh, which, of course, I did. And then from there, you know, a little bit later after that, I, uh, I was doing Crypticon here in Seattle. Right. And had met Jeffrey, oh, who's the guy that does, who played uh, uh, Reanimator in the movies? Jeffrey oh, Combs. Gosh. Yes. Uh, Jeffrey Combs. And, I almost uh, said Tombs, and that, that is patently no, incorrect. <laughs> no. Uh, and he was, he was okay. He was nice to meet. Uh, but I also met... Uh, Oh, what's her name? Uh, the the blonde woman that was in uh, Reanimator, who I absolutely adore, and for no reason in the world that we know should I be blanking on her name right now because yeah. I, I mean, she's the raddest ever, and she was super cool at the convention. And while I was talking to her, I had the idea for Vampirella versus Reanimator, so I pitched okay. that first to Cullen and then to Dynamite, and they they did it, and then. Uh, you know, that, you know, that progression of comics kind of built up, you know, uh, to giving me a little bit of momentum. And then when I was at uh, WonderCon, I think two, maybe three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I met one of the editors, uh, just happened to kind of bump into him at a Kinko's at one of the hotels for, for WonderCon because I was making some prints that I'd done. And the print was sure. a Voltron that I was giving away to a fan of the Voltron comic, you know, uh, and he, he, he started asking me, he's like, Oh, that's pretty good. You know, and we started talking about Voltron. Turns out he worked at IDW and put me into contact with the editors at IDW. And we started talking about the whole process and it took like two solid years for us to figure out, you know, first they had me do a cover for GI Joe. Then they had to have me do a cover for the transformers. Then they had me do a second cover for the Transformers. And shortly after the second cover for the Transformers is when they asked me to do my first interior pages for, for Transformers. Gotcha. So, um, so you've, I, I'd like to talk about that first GI Joe cover because yeah. I, I, I feel like there's a, there's a story there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, okay. So what, before I got into comics and part of my, artistic background has always been uh, pinup. I love pinup, you know, especially the kind of 40s, 50s era, kind of Vargas, kind of cheesecake style pinup. I like, I like cute and fun, not raunchy, right? So you'll, you'll never see a pinup from me that's, you know, hard nudity or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Because to me, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure some people enjoy that and that's fine. But I'm way more into the Rita Hayworth kind of Vargas, you know, kind of classic vibe, right? And and so when I was trying to break into comics, I did a uh, a calendar, Blackie's Beauties, right? And I did a Kickstarter, and I uh, I what my goal was was first to include um, kind of every body type, you know what I mean? Because yes. to me, 
one of the beauties of pinup is that you know as a as a human being i i find more things attractive in women than i don't you know what i mean like i i I can find something attractive in just about any woman that i see because i just i love that female energy especially when they've when they've got their act together and they they really know how to put themselves together and it becomes regardless of body size it becomes regardless of you know how where they rate on supermodel scale you know um Uh, and so I, it was very important to me to to bring in all the different you know range of body types, and I wanted to do that classic Vargas style, but with an updated set of models, you know, mm-hmm. with tattoos and 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 a more kind of uh, the vibe of the women that I knew and had around me, you know, at the time. Yeah. Uh, and so predicated on some of my pinup, uh, Tom at IDW and I were talking about doing. Uh, a cover for GI Joe and, and he suggested, Oh yeah, maybe we'll do like uh, retailer incentive covers. Uh, and we'll start with the Baroness, you know, you can do kind of a pinuppy Baroness. Um, so that's, you know, that's what we did. We wound up talking about it a little bit. And then when I started drawing or thinking about the drawing for the Baroness, I immediately went to Katie to Right. You know, yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Because, I, but let's say that the listeners aren't. And that's, yeah, so, that's where I'm building towards is a huge shout out to Katie because she's awesome. Yeah. So Katie is a, uh, is a Canadian uh, cosplayer uh, who she does her, her kind of, you know, uh, premium cosplay. The one that she is, I think, probably best known for is her Baroness. Uh, and she just absolutely rules that character. Like in my opinion, you know, she owns that cosplay. Anybody else should, before they're allowed to do the Baroness, they should have to get her written permission. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and so, and, and, and she's top shelf cool. Right. Yeah. So, you know, she's one of my favorite, you know, that's one of the biggest things. In fact, we were just communicating, um, recently. And, uh, that's one of the biggest bummers about this whole virus thing and not being able to go to conventions is that I looked forward to jet city or I'm sorry, uh, uh at jet city as well, but Emerald city, Emerald which city, is yeah. the convention where I see her and Apple TV and, and, you know, some of my favorite people in this kind of little world, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out that opportunity this year, which is a huge bummer. Uh, we were kind of looking forward to Rose city as because she was going to come down to Rose city, you know, but I, I, I suspect that was not going to go off either. Rose city has officially canceled. Oh, did they? Oh yeah. yeah I've, I've seen, I've keeping it all straight in my head is just sure. Nightmare. Well, and strangely enough, and not, and not to tangent too terribly much, uh, Rose city and Emerald city are both read pop shows. Rose, is city, Rose city, a read pop show. Sure is. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. But Emerald City, you know, they, they were going to go kind of like at the beginning of all this pandemic stuff, and they rescheduled for August. Yeah, to August, yeah. As far as I know, and somebody can sharpshoot me in the comments and we'll take a look at it later, but as far as I know, Emerald City has not canceled yet, whereas Rose City was scheduled for September and has officially canceled. I would be very surprised if Emerald City continues uh to to stage in august um you know i i certainly hope so but it's it would be of course dependent on the state of this whole thing 
you know what I mean? Uh, safety first, you know, but anyway, Absolutely. to get back to, to Katie, um, you know, so I, I didn't so much base my drawing of, uh, Baroness on her, at least not the, the face, because in my mind, Baroness is an older character. You yeah. know, I see her as being a mid forties, you know, aged character. Mm-hmm. And when I started trying at first to draw Katie, you know, it, Katie's, you know, beautiful, uh, as is the Baroness, uh, but it was very hard for me to age Katie forward believably. Yeah. You know I mean? Okay. Yeah. So I, so I actually wound up picking, I don't even know who she is. I, I just kind of did a, a Google image search, mm-hmm. uh, to find uh, uh, someone whose face kind of matched what I was looking for and, and kind of loosely based it on that. But I did base the overall vibe of the character and especially the armor that right. she wears specifically on, on Katie's version of the character. Yeah. And, and her posing as well. It, yeah. So it's like, you know, I, I've, I've seen Katie at, at conventions a good couple times. And, and again, she just embodies that character so much, just, just yeah. dripping with it. It's, it's, so, it's so awesome. So when I first saw your cover, I was like, oh, that, that's Katie. But I, I appreciate the insight now. I didn't, I, as soon as you explained the, the aging and all that, that totally checks out and makes sense also. Right. I just, I tried and I just couldn't yeah. make it work and still retain the face enough for it to look like Katie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if I'm going to do that, I want it to, you know, look like her, you know? Gotcha. So, um, and that's the only work you've done so far for GI Joe, right? For GI Joe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And that led to uh, Transformers. So, yeah. so like you said, you've, uh, um, you've done two covers at this point. Uh, were both of those retail incentive covers? I don't remember yeah. off the top of my head. I believe so. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, you have, um, you have interior work coming up? Yes. So I did interiors. Uh, I think I did seven pages. They tend to break the issues up between artists because it yeah. takes, it takes a long time to draw the transformers. Right. Uh, my editor at IDW, David, uh, he, uh, dude's a saint, right? Because I looked at it and my general speed in drawing a comic page is a page a day. You know, if I'm, if I need to hit a deadline, I can do it by drawing a page a day. Uh, and so I thought, okay, it's going to take me probably a day and a half, you know, because the transformers are, are more complicated and it's a more, you know, detail oriented thing. And without, you know, putting too fine a point on it, it took me a lot more than a day and a half. Yeah. And he was very golden about, uh, about not, you know, jumping into me too much about, you know, sliding my deadline a little bit. Um, But I think the pages came out to a high level of quality, which in my mind is the most important aspect. You know, obviously you've got to be timely, but especially with characters like, the Transformers where people have an expectation of those characters uh, and, and uh, uh, a love for those characters. Right. You know, you've got to treat those characters right. And, and in my own mind, because I have a love for those characters and I have an expectation of those characters, they had to pass my own bar first, you know? So, I mean, uh, the first page I'm drawing Bumblebee, 
you know, and I mean, that's, you know, that's 11 year old blackie, you know, happening right there, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm of the OG Transformers era. Like I remember rushing home from school to watch the first episode of the Transformers at its first airing, you know, uh, whenever it was 84 or 85 yeah. or whatever, you know, um, and so, you know, it, it was very meaningful to me, you know, and, and getting to getting to draw Optimus Prime and getting to draw Megatron and all these characters that I've, you know, loved. And I've, I've almost never known a world without those characters, you know, uh, yeah. and so it, it was very meaningful. So I, I focused in on them and tried to make them my own to the degree that you can, but also honor what makes them belong to everybody else who loves the characters. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, and that's kind of what I wanted to get into because there's a couple things there that's interesting going on with the current run of IDW Transformers. You know, they had um, an epic 13 year run where it was, you know, mostly generation one inspired, but then two years ago, they ended that universe, rebooted it, along with the new toys, the War for Cybertron trilogy uh, figures mm. of which I, I'm looking over your shoulder and I see a couple of those, uh, those very toys hanging out there. Yeah, I've um, got a lot more of them. <laughs> <laughs> and so the thing that's interesting about the reboot in the comics that I've noticed is that the character designs and illustrations are very toyetic. Yeah. Like you had, uh, you had mentioned the extra labor it takes to render these characters because they're, they're far more detailed with, with panel lines and, and the fact that it's, um, uh, and, and maybe you could speak on this, but the, but they, the toys, I'm sorry, the illustrations appear to be very on model. Yeah. Is, is that, uh, by editorial uh, decree, is there? It's like it has to be as close to the the toy model as possible. It depends on the character. So there are some characters for which there is no siege version, right? Um, like they haven't done a wind blade in the siege line, right? right. So the wind blade that I used was I want to say Power of the Primes, but I don't remember exactly. Sure. Um, but it was one of the, the toys that had come out recently. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is if you buy, say, the three most recent Windblade toys, they're all fairly similar, mm -hmm. but they're all pretty different too, yeah. right? And so yeah. I, I, and I kind of obsessed over it. And I don't know to the degree, I don't know the degree to which editorial obsessed over it right mm -hmm. and that was actually one of the things that slowed me down the most was finding reference and making sure i had the right reference and and drawing as on model as i could uh because when i did the first cover i did chromia and prowl right and hasbro had a few different notes on my prowl because i hadn't drawn him as on model as they would have liked um, and, but you know, that was my first stab at the character. I was using the siege version. Um, but things like proportions and then I drew them with the Autobot symbol and up to that point in the comics, they were not, you know, Autobots or, or they didn't wear the symbol of the Autobots. Right. Right. You know, just little things like that. Um, and so, and then also even beyond what editorial you know, their mandate as far as getting things on model in my own mind, I'm, I'm 
want to be very much on model. Like you'll notice in my Voltron work, yep. um, you know, I drew that fool right on model. You know <laughs> what I mean? Almost too slavishly on model. Like if I look at it now, I think I should have, I should have stretched the character a little more. I should yeah. have, you know, tried to put a little bit more stylization into the character because in my opinion, he looks a little stiff. You know, he looks like the toy. You yeah. Know, which he was, you know, I, I was sticking, you know, fastidiously to the toy, which is what I did and do with the Transformers. But I've learned, like, if you look at my Optimus Prime, he's based on the Siege Optimus Prime, mm -hmm. but I have changed the proportions away from the toy to give him a more heroic build, you know, to give him the bigger sure. chest and the thinner waist and the big shoulders and, you know, that kind of thing. Interesting. Cause yeah, I, uh, I remember when we talked about your Voltron work and uh, you always beat yourself up on that. And it's a, uh, it's a bummer. Cause I, I really like your version of Voltron, but I remember okay. that, that, that you had shared with me that you, you would run into those challenges of getting him to pose a certain way and not being able to do it. Cause the toy doesn't do that. Well, and, and just the physics of the character, like yeah. if Voltron were real, his physics don't make sense, right? Like his, his anatomy as if, if he were built in real life, he would not be a very flexible character, right? Just be, by virtue of the way that he's constructed, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I wound up having to do is cheat. You know, I'd have to, you know, like if he was hunkered down or if he had a, 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 an acute bend in his arm, well, the way he's built, he's got a, essentially a rotating joint at his elbow, but then he's got this big bulky lion part. And so he can only in real world bend his arm about that far. But right. sometimes I needed him doing this, you know what I mean? So I would yeah, just yeah. have to cheat it, you know? <laughs> um, what I, and so that's kind of the lesson that I learned on Voltron was don't be so slavish to the model that you lose the ability to properly express the story, you know? Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, because yeah, that, that was the other thing I, I wanted to talk about. You had mentioned that you've, uh, that you drew Bumblebee and I believe on one of uh, the covers, I think uh, Swindle is one of the characters on there. And I was like, yeah. wait a second, there's no Bumblebee figure yet. And I know there's no Swindle figure yet. Does this dude got an inside track on some figures no, that we so haven't seen yet? With respect, so all any character that didn't have a Siege figure, uh, I would ask my editor at IDW, like, which version of the character do you want me to use? And oh, okay. often, yeah, oftentimes he would say, you know, either A, the character hasn't been drawn in the comics yet, so just make him look the best you can, you know, try to stick to a more modern version of him. Mm -hmm. uh, or he'd say, you know, use Power of the Primes or use Combiner Wars or okay. use, you know, whatever. Now, Bumblebee, because he's such a prominent character, even though there's no Siege version of him yet, uh, which is mind-blowing, uh, even though there's no Siege version of him yet, he's appeared in the comics consistently since kind of day one, right? Yeah, so I knew true. what that's they true. wanted him to look like. And actually, the version that's in the comics is very closely modeled on the masterpiece version of the of the toy, mm -hmm. right? So, and I I have that from you know back when it was first released. So right. I you I used that as my model, you know, for and for the places where 
you know, the toy doesn't really give you a very illustrator friendly part like the back or yeah i would i would try to find reference in the comics and if i couldn't find reference in the comics i would just do my best you know try to make it look as cool as possible you know that's fair so uh you had mentioned in your uh which issue number is that by the way where where you have your uh, interior work coming up do you remember i think issue 21 and I think it was supposed to have come out and you might be able to order it online, but I don't know if the physical copies have been printed yet. I haven't gotten my comp copies of it yet. Okay. So I'm guessing it hasn't been actually printed yet, but I could be dead wrong and they just haven't sent them to me. Gotcha. Uh, the reason why I ask is uh, uh, a couple places I wanted to go with that. One, it's, I, I've noticed with the various artists, does it, is, is it disjointed for you? Uh, working on a, a portion of a story, um, do you want to, or do you prefer like a like a full script? It it just on one hand, let me, let me think about this. On one hand, I think it's awesome that there's a wide variety of artists working on the book, and it helps, uh, quite frankly, the the production schedule. You know, right. it's like you can't wait a couple months for Alex Milne to, you know, do his thing. You got to kind of churn and burn and crank the books out. So I, I get it from a from a sheer production standpoint. But on the other other side, for the reader, I wonder sometimes if it comes across disjointed with different uh, various art styles. Well, um, one and- thing that so one thing that I noticed that they do is. You know, let's say the script has three threads in it, right? One thread featuring characters A, B, and C, one thread featuring characters D, E, and F, and one thread featuring characters G, H, and E, or G, H, and I, okay? Um, They will assign the artist to a thread, right? And so not necessarily a range of pages, but rather a thread, you know? So mine had like pages two, three, four, seven, 11 and 12, you know, or whatever, you know, Sure. Um, I think that helps. Um, It also, I think helps when the artists that they pair together and sometimes they probably don't have a whole lot of control over this based on artist availability. Uh, But I think it helps when they have artists whose styles are at least somewhat similar, you know, Sure. Uh, still other work in the issue that I did our styles are not super similar, but they're, I think, somewhat complementary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a, a reader would be able to look at it and go, okay, this is Blackie, this is the other guy. Um, but it wouldn't be so jarring stylistically that they'd go, oh, wow, this looks like it was drawn, you know, by, you know, someone completely different. You know, they're, they're, they, yeah. they have a certain amount of commonality. Um, they have used a wide range of artists with a wide range of styles, right? So you look at some artists um, who are not detail-heavy artists, right? And so they draw the characters in largely geometric, you know, forms um, with a minimal amount of, of specific detail, um, and and that's great, you know, for the you know that style works, you know, perfectly well. But then they've got artists like Milne and myself yeah. uh, who are much more detailed. Like I, it's almost impossible for me not to get lost in the details 
because I'm a detail-oriented artist. I like the rivets. I like to see the, the places where the metal joins. I like to, you yeah. know, that to me is interesting and it's fun to draw, but it slows me down. Mm -hmm. Same with Milne. I've, I've talked to him a little bit about that. Um, you know, the artist who is the main series artist, her name is Anna Malkova. Uh, she's ridiculously good. Uh, and I really like her style in that she seems to have struck an almost perfect balance between she seems to know exactly how much detail she needs to put in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that's something that I'm still working towards. I'm still trying to figure out how to attenuate my detail level so that I can draw them to my own satisfaction, but also draw them fast so that I can tackle a whole 20 page script in a month. You know, I gotcha. Well, and I, I think a lot of it is just uh, getting your foot in the door also. You know, that was a huge part of it. You know, uh, so as much as I love the Transformers, and I do, my <laughs> ultimate goal is I want to draw ROM real bad. So Chris Ryall, if you're listening, put me on ROM, sir. Uh, uh, I really want to draw uh, G.I. Joe, just because with my military background, I think I can bring a certain level of... of uh, attention to detail and 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 realist realism to it that I think the fans would appreciate. Uh, I really want to draw Mask, which they also have the the license to because I I just absolutely love Mask. But my crown jewel, the thing that I want more than anything in the world, is to draw the Micronauts. Um, now, as I understand it, the plan for the Micronauts right now is fairly up in the air. Like, I don't even think IDW has a good idea of what's going on. It's all kind of in Hasbro's hands at the moment. Yeah. But, you know, I, I send my, my IDW editors, I'd call it a bi-monthly, you know, email, you know, <laughs> hey, remember I want to draw the Micronauts, you know? Yep. <laughs> it's so for me, the, the hierarchy is Micronauts, ROM, and then... You know, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Mask all kind of occupy the same tier. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, and I remember when we first started talking, uh, oh gosh, two, three years ago, maybe more now at this point, and that was at a time when none of that was even really possible. You know, it's right. like, you know, it's like IDW was doing Transformers. They were occasionally doing G.I. Joe, but any of that other stuff. So, like, I, I remember this very specifically when you when you listed off those exact same properties when we talked way back on KGRG. And I was I was like, hey, that's that's something that's really cool that could happen right now. It actually could happen, and and right. I, I I'm so happy for you, and and uh, congratulations that you that you've that you've got your foot in that door, so to speak, to where those things are now possible. Whereas right. you know, just because licensing, like you know, two three years ago, was was just something you talk about on a goofy radio show for funsies. So that's right. That, that's, yeah, yeah, that's really really cool. So with uh with that. Do you have anything on the on the horizon coming up with IDW and and potentially any of those other properties? Well, with IDW, the you know, there's always, you know, once they ramp back up and they're producing, you know, their comics again, the the lines of comics for which I'm being considered, uh, you know, I'm always being considered. I I I have it from my editors that they liked my work, you know, and so you know, it, it's really one of those things where, you know, we'll call you when we need you. Uh, and then I, like I said, I check in with them fairly regularly to kind of keep 
excuse me, keep my name in the mix for Transformers, Micronauts, G.I. Joe, you know, all the, all the, you know, ROM, you know, all the titles. Um, and then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always talking with dynamite, you know, we've got a new project coming up, you know, that's actually been in the can for a while. It's just, you know, this whole virus thing has, has made it, uh, has kind of thrown off the, the schedule a little bit. Uh, and I still owe Marvel some test pages. They, you know, they liked my work at Emerald city last year. Um, but just as with a couple of other properties, you know, it, it, as soon as I started working on those test pages, I started getting other gigs and I can't not do a paying gig in order to do, you know, test pages. But I reached out to the editors at Marvel and, and, you know, they were like, yeah, totally get it. You know, get to them when you have time, you know, now, I want to have time. And now is that's one of the things that I'm filling up my time with right now. Is yeah. Very cool. So you had, uh, you had mentioned it earlier uh, talking about your work at dynamite. And one, one of the things that, that fascinates me about your work specifically is that you have the eighties nostalgia properties, you know, all of those that we were just talking about, but you've also got that other foot firmly planted in horror comics and right. we ta- and we talked about um, uh, some of your experiences there, but um, I I don't know I, I I remember another time that you and I talked. I think if I remember correctly, the Pumpkinhead series had been announced, but maybe hadn't launched yet. I think like maybe you just had like that first image uh, that you were doing as prints. And when we were talking, I, and I, I, I remember this so vividly where you were so excited about the gig that you basically broke down the entire plot of the entire book. <laughs> and, we just, and we just talked about the whole damn thing. And it was, uh, it was such a treat to see that out on the shelves uh, uh, when it came out. It was such a great series. Um, but that was your um, second collaboration with Cullen Bunn, if I, if I remember. Yeah, we did Voltron a- After first Voltron. And- so yeah. I was wondering if, uh, if you could talk about your um, kind of breaking the story on Pumpkinhead and how that kind of leads into cementing kind of that. I mean, because like at this point, you and Colin almost kind of have this, uh, this Lee and Kirby thing going on. You guys have collaborated so much at this point. Uh, right. But, but I was wondering if you could talk about that and then we can get into Vampirella and reanimator and, sure. the, uh, and the new. So, so the thing about the Pumpkinhead story was, you know, I think largely he had the concept and the story pretty much broke by the time, you know, I got involved. Um, but because, again, because Colin is so collaborative, um, you know, I, I read the story, absolutely adored it. You know, I mean, I, and I've said this a million times, even if I wasn't the artist on that book, I would be all about that book because right. the story that he came up with is just the best, you know, uh, and it's such a great sequel to the first movie you know which in my opinion that's the only movie of of the series that i care about i i didn't like any of the 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 sequels that they made um but uh the 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 cool thing though was you know in the script he just wrote you know the demon of pride or the demon of this you know and so it fell on me to design them uh and so when i started designing them i'm a very research centric dude right and so and i you know again i come from a very conservative family uh i say again i don't remember if we talked about that while we were alive or not 
but I've so I have a very conservative family, uh, very religious, and so I have a background in the Christian religion, you know, uh, from when I was a kid. And so, and and the Pumpkinhead mythos relies largely on the concept of the seven deadly sins, you know. Uh, And so I very much went deep into trying to figure out the best way to show these demons uh, in a way that would comport with some amount of historicity, you know, uh, and, and in doing so, I actually managed to um, approach Cullen with an, a couple of ideas that he worked into the script. Predominantly, the one that uh, it comes to mind first is, uh, is the demon of pride, right? So pride, you know, biblically or traditionally, is the first and greatest of man's sins, okay? And so I thought to myself, well, if that being, that being the case it would be a sin so big and so uh, profound that it would take more than one vessel to contain the demon of pride. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I thought, okay, there would be two demons or two vessels necessary. There would be the the main body vessel, right? Uh, And then he would have another vessel that he would wield as a weapon, right? And so if you look at the comic, he's got, there's the demon of pride. uh, And then he's got this kind of staff with a head, a a shriveled head, and all of the organs and bones of the person, the vessel, are like wrapped into a staff that he uses it. And I think I called it the judge of iniquity is the name of the staff. I don't know if that made it into the script, but that's what I thought of it as, is the judge of iniquity. Um, and the idea being that, again, that, that demon was so profound and that failure of mankind was so profound that it required two vessels in order to, you know, accommodate. Yeah. And so when I sent the, the, the sketches and the concept ideas to Dynamite and Colin, he liked the idea well enough that he actually brought the, the, the weapon in as its own thing and, you know, used it in the story as a story point, which was rad. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. And then, you know, the other stuff was, you know, he, we both really liked the character of Haggis, you know, the witch. And so, you know, (laughs) without giving too much away, you know, he really gives Haggis that Darth Vader badass, you know, through line in the story, which was amazing. Uh, He and I collaborated a little bit on the main character because at first he didn't know which way he wanted to go with the, the, the sheriff. Um, and right. so I did concept sketches of kind of a couple of different directions. Uh, and then the other thing that he was very kind in accommodating me with is, uh, so one of the, I don't want to call him the villain, but one of the kind of antagonists is the dude, the big dude with the long shaggy hair and whatever. Um, I grew very fond of that character, him and his sister, both, uh, the, and so, when I started getting the script, I knew, you know, at a certain point that guy was going to, you know, buy the farm. Right. And so I just asked Colin, I'm like, Hey, when he goes out, can you make it a, a good one? You know, like, you know, <laughs> really don't, don't let him just get killed, you yeah. know, off screen or, or in a punk way. Let's see him, you know, really, you know, live up to his, his own, you know, vibe and, and Colin delivered, of course. That's awesome. Very cool. So how, 
how long was it then from your guys's work on Pumpkinhead that you started on Vampirella and uh, Reanimator? Uh, so it was not long. Uh, I'd say less than probably six months before I oh. pitched the idea. So I got the idea at Crypticon, which I think is in April. Mm. And then I pitched the idea to, um, to, uh, dynamite to joe uh or uh nick and oh i can't remember the other guy's name but he's he's one of the higher up editors uh yeah joe uh joe and nick i i bumped into them at the at the vampirella panel at san diego uh and i pitched them on the idea and they liked the idea uh and so you know that later that day i pitched it to cullen so i'd say whatever april may june july so four months to pitch it to uh, Dynamite. And then I think we had a script within a couple of months of that. And, and it, you know, I don't remember the exact timeline, but it, you know, within that year. So not long at all. Interesting. So one of, one of the things that, that uh, Dynamite is most known for is just this litany of uh, uh, licensed properties that they have, you know, usually nostalgia, usually genre. Um, how does a project like Vampirella meets the reanimator? How, how does that, how does that even come to be? Well, I was surprised that they hadn't done it already. Uh, because, you know, fair enough, you know, they, they own the, the Vampirella property. Yeah. Uh, and they have done several reanimator series. Mm -hmm. Uh, now reanimator, is a, is a public domain property, right? Uh, so the original stories, you know, uh, Herbert West Reanimator that H.P. Lovecraft wrote, like all of H.P. Lovecraft's stuff, they're all public domain, mm. right? Uh, and so you'll notice that the Reanimator comics that Dynamite does don't really bear much resemblance to the movies, right? Uh, and yeah. so, okay. and they don't use any of the movie specific characters. Um, and so, you know, I was surprised that they had both reanimator comics and Vampirella comics that they'd never blended them before. Cause dynamite loves their mashups, man. They, yes. they, you know, so many, you know, I think they did a Battlestar Galactica versus Macross at one point, oh, you know, geez. a Robotech and yeah, I mean, they love yeah. their mashups. So I was really surprised. So when I gave them the idea, they, you know, I encountered very, very little resistance. They were like, yeah, let's do it. You know? So uh, I, I think I was just lucky in so far that I had the, the, the idea first, you know? Gotcha. Gotcha. So, and uh, somewhere along the way, you've, uh, uh, you worked on an anthology with, uh, with Cullen also, right? Before, before yeah. the, the new stuff that we're getting ready to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, uh, do you have a, a pitch for that? You can let folks know about the, uh, the yeah, anthology? Yeah, uh, I thought I had an issue. The issue, it's called Graveyard Slaughter. It was uh, the brainchild of, uh, of uh, a good friend of Cullen's and mine uh, named uh, Kevin, uh, who unfortunately recently passed away. Uh, and, uh, and Cullen, they were the two primary writers. Uh, and then there was me, uh, oh man, uh, because I'm on the spot, I'm not remembering any of that. Well, sure, Gary, sure. Uh, Gary uh, is another one of the artists. Um, but there, you know, me and a few other artists, Cullen and Kevin wrote the stories. And it's basically um, 
a, a kind of a throwback to the 80s video store, right? And so okay. we wanted to do very 80s style horror concepts, you know, all tied together with a through line of this video store called Video Hell, right? And this, and our main, our kind of through line character called the creepy girl, you know, <laughs> who she shows up in between stories interstitially. Yeah. And kind of brings the next story to bear, you know, so mine uh, was uh, we did a play on uh, and I, I my story was written by Kevin, not by Colin. Oh, um, OK. My mistake. Uh, we did a play on the Bloody Mary character. Right. And the idea was, you know, we wanted to set. The, so it's a bunch of teenagers having a costume party uh, in the 80s. So I literally for my reference uh for the house and the the kind of environment i used the house from 16 candles uh, like all the different shots of the house yeah. all 16 candles uh <laughs> and all the costumes were very period costumes like at one point i've got uh, a guy dressed as max headroom and his girlfriend dressed as the the leader from v leaving you know i've got the blues brothers in there uh, you know i've got yes. dracula and vampirella in there <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I love it. And, and now that now that we're talking about it, I, I do remember that because that that project uh, Graveyard Slaughter that started as a Kickstarter, right? Okay, that that's where I remembered it from. And we're doing a, another edition of it. Uh, I think what the plan is right now is we want to try to make it an event comic every Halloween. Awesome, and that's a great platform for that too. Uh, yeah. You know, using it as Kickstarter, and and that way the folks that want it and want to support it and believe in it can have that that kind of almost on demand platform. Uh, well, for I think the, I think Kickstarter cool. and Indiegogo are are kind of the future of comic distribution um, insofar as, you know, we see the obvious problem with, with having a monopoly like Dynamite or like Diamond. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, Diamond puts their work on hiatus, you know, for better or worse. You know, I mean, I certainly understand why they did what they did. Of course. But the problem with it is having one company that does it all, they put them, their, their work on hiatus, it shut down the whole industry. Right. You know what I mean? And if that distribution method were more diversified, it wouldn't have had such a tremendous impact. In fact, if that industry were more regionally focused, you know, then the, the risk would be significant. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, the, now granted there, that's not the only problem the other problem being that an enormous amount of the comics are printed in either china or canada and that shipping process and those print shops have been closed down so i mean it's not the only thing stopping it but it was a big shot in the gut um and so but even beyond that you know before the the pandemic thing you know uh comics being offered via campaign was gaining more and more traction you know, and becoming more and more real as an alternative to going through the traditional distribution methods because exactly right. the reasons you said. It allows you to go straight to the fan. Uh, it allows you to, to cross-cut um, any, you know, distribution snags that, that might arise, you know, and it, if done properly, it allows you to continue to have 
local comic shops involved because you can offer retailer packages. You can make mm -hmm. the comic available to them afterwards, you know, that kind of, which is very important to me. I, you know, I know comics are moving digitally and I like that. I think digital is a great way to view comics. Uh, but at least for me, I don't think that the print comic is ever going to completely go away. I think there's always going to be collectors who want the comic in their hands. I'm one of them, you know? Yeah, I, I've always maintained that while, while I do dabble with digital comics occasionally, I can't have my favorite writer or artist autograph my digital comic at a convention. Right, right um, exactly. And that's important to me. I, you know, yeah. I, I'm not an autograph hound in any aspect of life except for comics. You know, like I, I, at this point, Michael Golden has signed just about everything he's ever drawn <laughs> in my collection. You know, like I'm literally out of stuff for him to sign. So now at conventions, when I see him, I just go up and we just rap for a few minutes. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. That's uh, so a, a couple few different places I want to go from that, because like, you know, talking about uh, Diamond and the distribution and, and Kickstarter, they kind of opened up a few different uh, thought processes. Uh, where I wanted to go. One of the things with the kind of crowdfunded on-demand uh, aspect is we've seen other uh, projects uh, come to light as well. And as we were talking, the first thing that popped into my mind is uh, some, of those, uh, some of those Chud Comicscape projects. And those are like obnoxiously successful right and you know to uh uh wade hip one of them one of them using the vampirella versus reanimator comic that uh yeah that was uh that was a thing that happened yeah and i i don't know and and it, and it kind of reminds me because that that's one of a couple times I can think of where your art has been outright swiped. Like, you know, we, we were kind of talking in, in a pre-show um, a little bit, whether we were going to talk about your uh, uh, independent project uh, brawler. And mm -hmm. I, re I remembered a couple years ago where there was like some like direct to video knockoff movie that was called like the brawler or something like yeah. that. And like the composition was like, you know, identical to your uh, creator, uh, uh, creator. Yeah, character. it's real hard to look at the cover that I came up with for the ash can mm -hmm. and the cover that they used for their poster and not see literally a one-to-one -one swipe. Um, yeah. Now, to what degree I could have legal recourse, I don't know. Uh, I'm not super worried about it, um, but it was eye-opening to see, you know. So... I know a lot of my listeners are uh, independent creators, you know, like folks that are maybe like just getting started or, you know, or ju just enthusiastic to put pen to paper and just, just create. Um, what kind of advice would you have for folks that, that find themselves in a, in a swiping situation? Man, I don't know. I would ask them for their advice. I yeah. literally have no idea what recourse one might have is, so with the brawler thing, oh, and while we're talking about it, shout out to uh, Don and Kane. Uh, they are, uh, Don is a friend of mine from high school, and her son Kane uh, is, when I created the character of brawler, uh, because of the nature of that character, I wanted to talk to Don, because her son Kane was something of an inspiration for that character. 
Uh, and uh, so, and I think they may be watching. So how y'all doing? Uh, but anyhow, um, so with respect to the brawler thing, like I said, I don't know what legal recourse I might have. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't bother pursuing it. Um, and then with the Vampirella versus Reanimator thing, technically they didn't swipe anything. Uh, that person just used my comic and then did a run and put their cover on it. You know, did a kind of a special run and did their oh, cover. Okay. And then, you know, sold it via campaign and, and made a ridiculous amount of money. Got it. Yeah, it sounds like I misunderstood how that uh that situation went. Yeah, That's, no, that um, was all completely above board. Oh, okay. Um, you know, for what it's worth. Sure. So, um, when, and, and I keep uh, I I'm jabbing the bear gently. Um, so one uh, I I know from your social media and just for from talking to you, you're you're an aggressive social justice warrior, and I love I love it about you. Um. I've I've talked about Comicsgate a little bit in some of my podcasts. Um, do you got any thoughts you wanna you wanna talk about those knuckleheads? Because like yeah, what, you know the thing is is I one has to tread carefully when yeah. talking about Comicsgate, uh, and the reason for it is like any I hate to use the word but like any movement. I've found that there is the tip of the spear, you know, the people who are right at the very cutting edge of the movement, and they have an ideology, and they have a motivation, and they have a reason for doing what they're doing, right? But then behind that are people who are not as ideologically focused, right? Mm. So, you know, the if you look at the face value of what they say. They want comics to be better. They want comics to be um, more inclusive of all, you know, ideas, you know, both conservative and liberal. And they want, they don't want any storylines altered just for the sake of, you know, social justice uh, signaling. Um, I can understand that point of view. I don't necessarily agree with it but I can understand it from an objective position. Right. I also, yeah, right. You know, and I also know people and am friends with people who agree with those points of view, you know? Um, Now the problem is, is that that aspect of it gets buried under the tip of the spear aspect of it, which is very groupthink oriented. Um, the whole hail Caesar thing and the whole, you know, and the problem is, is they state one set of, of, uh, ideas being, you know, we want this, that, and the other thing. But then when you look at their online presence and you look at what is said and done by the people who are the tip of the spear, that's an altogether different and uglier thing. Mm -hmm. You know, now my personal viewpoint on it is just as I would not argue with a 12-year-old, I'm not going to argue with these people because I have no interest in their point of view. I don't agree with it. I don't, I don't hate them for having their point of view. That would be like hating a 12-year-old for having silly points of view. You can't do that. You know what I mean? You just right. let them wander through the room and then go to their room and play Xbox or whatever they're going to do. You know, I don't want anything to do with them. You know, um, Conversely, I don't want to get caught up in the process of, of 
standing against them and arguing against them. Right. Because then it opens you up to it and you become part of it. You get snared in the net. Mm -hmm. What I want to do is make the best comics that I can uh, and uh, with the best art that I can muster and gather the largest audience possible and, you know, have a wholly positive output into the world. You know what I mean? I, I love it. I love it. And that's, uh, and that's, <laughs> that's why I go to you for the wisdom because, you know, I'm just a knucklehead with a microphone. So I, I'm not in the business. I don't know what that aspect is like, but what I do know is that it feels to me at times comics creators are almost as divided as our country in general in terms of like where you kind of stand. I think it can appear that way. Ah, brilliant. The problem that I've found and you know, this is unfortunate is that when one allows their perception to be guided by social media, one can perceive, oh my gosh, what a huge division in, you know, culture and the whole nine yards. Um, but in the real world, I have not seen that to be true. You know, like I said, there's the tip of the spear people, yeah. you know, and they're a relatively small number of people. And then there's everybody else who are perfectly fine and, you know, they might be right of center or left of center or whatever, but they're not out to make anybody's life harder. They're not out to, you know, uh, uh, prevent women and people of color uh, and people from the LGBTQ community from making comics. You know what I mean? They, yeah. So I, I, my only problem is with people who have any opinion that's so extreme that they feel the need to attack a group of people using social media or whatever method. You know what I mean? Everybody else I've found is, you know, fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Fair enough. Um, could you give us a quick update on Brawler? We were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Okay. So Brawler is going to happen. Now it's been, I think three years now that the, <laughs> uh, that the Kickstarter successfully funded. Um, and I've, I've sent several updates to my backers to tell them that first, I'm real sorry that it hasn't been uh, fulfilled yet. And I've tried to be opaque with her uh, uh, as, as clear as possible as to why that is. And the reason why is good problem to have. I keep getting gigs, you know, and I, it's, it's very hard for me to not work on a paying gig when I got, you know, bills to pay and that kind of thing. Um, but my intention to finish brawler is as strong as ever. Um, I've made some changes to the way that's ultimately going to happen. Uh, rather than doing a second Kickstarter for two more issues, what I'm going to do is make the whole story self-contained so that the people who have backed Brawler is, is going gonna to get the whole story, all right, in 40 pages, 44 pages or whatever. Um, beyond that, I've also tried to share with all my backers that um, if at any point they're tired of waiting, all they have to do is let me know and I'll give them their money back. You know, I'm not trying to steal anybody's money. I, you know, I fully understand if they're tired of waiting. I would, I would be pretty frustrated myself and am very frustrated myself, as is Ian, my, my, the writer that I worked with. Uh, we both want this to come out because we both believe in the story. Yeah. Um, now, having said all that, I've got a plan. Um, I'm continuing work. And, you know, this virus thing actually is working out pretty well for Brawler. 
because it's allowed me to push push forward on it, right? So I've started thumbnailing out the rest of the pages. Um, Ian and I have discussed the the new way to tell the story. Um, at this point, you know, it's really going to turn out, or it's really going to come down to just uh, uh, getting it done, you know. And I, I just want to try to keep my my Kickstarter backers as informed as possible and always have that door open that if you're tired of waiting, no hard feelings, absolutely just let me know. I'll give you your bucks back, you know. Fair but enough. it is coming. It's a story that's too close to my heart for me not to actually get out. And real quick before uh, before we pivot, could you give a quick uh, plot outline of Brawler for like some folks that are just jumping on the live stream and have no idea what we're talking about? Yeah, so Brawler is the story of a young man, uh, a troubled young man uh, who uh, lives a kind of a solitary life uh, based in Capitol Hill in Seattle. And um, through a series of events, he becomes aware of a human trafficking ring that's being run by the Russian mob out of the Seattle area. Uh, and so he takes it upon himself to break that trafficking ring. Um, the story came about because of a confluence of events, right? So when I lived on Capitol Hill, in very quick succession, I became aware of three things. One, um, a young lady was murdered by a um, psychologically challenged man uh, who was who had been either discharged or, or was not given the proper medications on Capitol Hill there there were right. a number of, of institutions for, for you know mentally challenged people right. uh, and he murdered this young woman uh, and it was it happened a block from where I lived uh, and that hit me kind of hard because you know, it, it, it's, there's so much wrapped up in that story, right? Uh, second thing that happened was I found out that Seattle is a big hub. Our shipping is a big hub for human trafficking uh, because of the way that the legislation works on the way shipping containers are searched and, and, and vetted before they come through our ports. We, I think we only search like 1% of them or something like that. Uh, and so they're used to move human beings from various parts of the world to other parts of the world. And third, um, my friend Dawn, uh, I became aware of the fact that she had a son who was on the autism spectrum. Kane. Hi, Kane. Uh, and, and, you know, those three things kind of blended in my mind to give rise to the story of Brawler. Gotcha. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I remember when we first spoke about it, and I, I was I was just floored. It's like th this this is a story I I need to check out. So I'm I'm one of those fans that's uh, anxiously awaiting you uh, getting the opportunity to uh, uh, get back to that story and complete it. But as you had said, and as we close out here with our guest uh, Blackie Shepherd, you keep getting these paid gigs. Right. So as as we uh, as we close out, could you talk about uh, your uh, next exciting project that you've got coming up. Yeah, so it actually just got announced that the, the kickoff date for it hasn't been settled just yet. Um, I think we're still waiting for the final colors to get finished. Uh, the colorist is Ellie Wright, who is one of my all-time favorite colorists. We were extraordinarily lucky to get her working on the project, and her work is just absolutely blowing my mind. 
Um, the letterer is Taylor Esposito, who is one of the best letters in the industry. Again, super lucky to get the guy working on it. Uh, the job that he did on it was just amazing. And of course, Cullen uh, wrote the thing and it's, uh, it's reanimated. Uh, but this time what we're doing is we're, we're doing a direct sequel to the original reanimator short stories, right? So I think there were five original oh. reanimator short stories and the last one ends with Herbert West getting torn to pieces by the undead. Uh, and so how would we make a sequel to that, one might ask? Well, you got to read it. Uh, it's, it's just amazing. I'll tell you, every time I get a script from Cullen, it blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, and this one, you know, so in, I got sent the lettering pass, right? Uh, yeah. And I, so that means you got to reread it, you know? And in rereading re it, I was like, this is the coolest comic, man. Like Cullen just writes the hell out of everything he touches. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm really excited for it. We're going to do a, a crowdfunding campaign shortly. Um, you know, uh, and as soon as that kicks off, I'll of course be, you know, letting everybody know and, and putting it out there as much as I can. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be great. It's called reanimator the eternal Lie. Ah, very cool. Very cool. Well, that, uh, that definitely, uh, gives us something to look forward to. I'm uh, really excited. Um, that's, uh, and, and looking at the time, I think it's about time to get ready to sign off, let you, uh, uh head out into your afternoon, but this is a blast. We could talk for literally hours. I, I like yeah, this man. live stream and stuff. This is a, this is actually really cool. It's yeah, a, it's, yeah. And, and anytime, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always up to, to throw around an idea or if uh, you want to talk more about the transformers or, you know, whatever, man, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm with it. I'm also very shortly going to be working on a toy line. Uh, and so that might give us something to talk about as well. That's right. I was, uh, I was gonna, I, that was on my list and yeah, I kind of shuffled the deck. I was like, Oh yeah. I did, didn't ask you about your toy line, but that's every time I see you at a show at a, at a convention, it's like, you know, you give me a little bit of an update and I'm always, always excited about that because I, I know how much toys, you know, mean to you and that, that level of detail. So I, I know that's, that's going to be something really, really special as well. I am a boy. All <laughs> here. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I love <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, before we part ways for now, could you let folks know where we can find you on the internet and how we can connect with you on the social medias? Yeah. So the best place to find me is, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. I believe on Instagram, I am at art devil three one three. Uh, and I believe on Twitter, I am at CQ Shep S H E P. Yep. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, or you can just type in, I think Blackie Shepherd into any search engine and it'll, it'll bring something up. Uh, a lot of German shepherd pictures, if so, <laughs> you know, um, and then I'm on Facebook. Uh, but I, to be honest, I don't really go to Facebook much very often anymore. Um, or you can go to my portfolio website, which is www.cqshep.com. And that has samples of a lot of the works that we were talking about here today, like a lot of your yeah. pinups, some of the calendars. Um, so yeah. And if people want me to want to commission me for something, they can do it through the website or they can contact me via Instagram or Twitter. Uh, it, it, and very soon I'll also be selling, you know, t-shirts and, you know, stuff with my crap on it. Gotcha. So you're open for commissions then? I am. Yeah. 
Excellent. Very, very cool. Um, I, uh, you know, it may be a conversation for offline, but I keep meaning to commission you for a piece and I just haven't gotten around to doing it yet. I'll, uh, hey, I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> there it is. There it is. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for hanging out uh, with us here on the live stream. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and I'm sure it's not going to be the last, but our time runs out for now. Uh, this has been Mike Cybert Radio uh, for Mike Cybert Radio Podcast. My name is Mike. I'm Blackie. And until next time, wash your hands and make good choices. Word. You've been listening to the Mike Seibert Radio Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at Mike Seibert Radio. Email us at MikeSeibertRadio at gmail.com. The spelling on that, of course, is S-E-I-B-E-R-T. Call into the voicemail hotline at 231-224-MIKE. Once again, that's 231-224-6453. Special thanks to Michael Geisler for our theme music. For more like it, check out bydoormusic.com. This has been a Mike Seibert Radio Production.